Hey, everybody, it is Trags, and this week on Red Sox Beat, I welcome one of the best personalities in Boston sports and an expert on all things Red Sox, the one and only Boot <laughs> Maloney. You can hear him on Red Sox Radio on the WEEI Red Sox Radio Network. See him on NBC Sports Boston, offering his pearls of wisdom and uh, unique insights on all things Red Sox. And of course, you should be following him on Twitter at Lou Merloni, all one word. I'm not going to spell it out. You should know how to spell it by now. How you doing, Lou? Good, Trags. How you doing, buddy? Um, life is good here in Cincinnati. I cannot complain. Nice. Uh, uh, covering the Red Sox from afar on all things Red Sox here on the Red Sox beat. And uh, certainly there's a lot to catch up on here, Lou. Yeah. Uh, in the last week, we've had a lot happen. I guess I'm going to start from the point of view of the fan who wants to know from a player's point of view, have you ever had anything tossed at you by an angry fan in your career? Uh, yeah, as a matter of fact, Yankee Stadium. See, Drex, I, I used to do this thing before the game started, where especially at Fenway Park, you know, um, where as I ran into the field to stretch out, I always run to left center. And I take a slow jog out to the wall and that slow walk back. And it was kind of like my way of sort of regrouping. You know, right. get my mind right before the game and everything else that that whatever 30, 45 seconds, minute walk, whatever it took to get back. So I remember the first time I went to Yankee Stadium, that was just part of my routine. And I ran to, you know, we're in the third base dugout and I ran to right center and it just did my normal jog. And I got probably about three quarters of the way out there and I looked up. And everybody in the right field bleachers was like waving their hands, like keep coming. You know, <laughs> I looked up like maybe I cut this one short. Maybe I don't go all the way to the wall. Well, the first time I did and I just got pelted, you know, it was hot dogs and Cokes and drinks and everything else. And I just, you know, but back then I was like, Jesus, maybe I shouldn't be doing this anymore. You know, I didn't get a baseball thrown at me. And I think the, the situation the other night just goes to show everybody's been this thing about throwing baseballs back into the stand back onto the field. And right. You always sat there and say, well, it's all fun and games and cute until you actually hit a player in the back of the head or the back. Now, this guy, I don't think he was aiming at Verdugo. If he did, he should be signed right away. Hit him square in the back, right? But right. throwing it out in the field, you run that risk all the time. It's just stupid. Do you think uh, you're going to see players not throwing the balls to the fans anymore because of this? Yeah. I mean, you could see that, no question, especially in the outfield. I, mean, it, it, I think it's great. You go to games now, Tracks. I don't know if you – I mean, I feel like they throw – three, four, five, six dozen baseballs out to the stands each and every night, which I think is a great thing. Well, I'm going to keep throwing them out there. If you're going to throw them back at me and hit me, that's not going to happen. Well, okay, to be fair here, what Verdugo was trying to do, he was trying to throw it to a Red Sox fan, right? right. And yeah. Yankee fan intercepted, caught the ball, and then eventually gunned it back at him. Yeah, and, you know, the Yankee fans like throw it back, throw it back, throw it back. I mean, it would have been nice if he just handed it to the Red Sox fan. But anyways, I, mean, I understand if Fenway Park had already the same thing. And like I said, it was just probably, you know, no big deal. Let's throw it back into the state. And we've seen it before. We actually saw it, I think, three or four years ago at Fenway Park. I think it was Stanton, wasn't it, to hit a home run? Yes. And in the Green Monster, and a fan from the Green Monster threw it back, and it one-hopped him as he's rounding second, hit him in the leg. And I do. You know, I was at that game. Yeah. With, uh, I believe it was yeah. that game, actually. Yeah. And, I mean, you know, but it's it's still stupid. You know, there's no question about it. So they got to be careful. Well, I mean, what I found most interesting about that whole thing was Jaron Duran in his first major league game was the first guy to come over and try to calm down uh, Alex Verdugo. I just found that, that was kind of surreal to me at Yankee Stadium. Mm -hmm. You have Jaron Duran getting his first major league hit off Chris Sale, I, off Chris Sale, off Garrett Cole in cool. that game. 
And um, what was interesting is just to see how the Red Sox reacted, came to the support of Verdugo. And look, Alex Cora admitted, uh, Lou, that that Verdugo has a temper. And he has a, Mm -hmm. he's a competitive guy. And he wasn't disappointed that Verdugo started shouting at the fan because that's only human instinct, right? Yeah, and I think that's where Alex really comes, you know, his, his greatness shows as a manager, I think, in this league. I mean, you know, I think most every manager in this game knows X's and O's, in my opinion. They know the game of baseball, but what separates them is is knowing each of your players' personality, knowing how to get the most out of each and every player. Some you got to coddle, some you got to ride hard, just understanding. I think he knows that Verdugo is an emotional guy. That's what you love about him, right? When he plays the game, right. it's excitement. But he also knew that, this thing needed to be calmed down. And I think taking his team off the field, taking Verdugo, put him in the dugout, let him walk it off, let him talk it out, let him calm down a little bit, I think was the right move. And just more of a buy-in from that team. I think just, I think being around Alex and, and the players, they just buy in every day. And just another example of it, knowing your players. Okay. After the big three, Bogarts, mm-hmm. Evers, and JD, I would say, and correct me if you feel differently, Verdugo is probably the fourth most important guy in that lineup this year so far in terms of his consistency, what he's brought to the table defensively and, and certainly at the plate. No? Yeah, I would agree with you, which is why, like, lately when this offense has struggled and you look at Verdugo, the month that he's had so far, you know, a lot of ground balls, not himself at the plate right I, now. And, yeah, and, he, and he's a guy that, you know, it's it's the emotion. He gets on base. He makes things happen. And it's like every team has a player like that. It was the same thing when Mookie was here. Um, you know, when he got on base, stealing bases, the excitement, it was like the whole team kind of fed off of that. And I think Verdugo is one of those guys. I would agree with you 100%. And the fact that he's struggling a little bit offensively, I think kind of explains, you know, why this offense hasn't been getting going. So he's a huge part of this. There's no question about it. Like it's two through five. Three through five are the headliners, but this lineup is two through five. And I would uh, also add to that, you can tell the fatigue a little bit, I thought, last uh, mm-hmm. on Sunday night when he swung through a couple of pitches right down the middle. I think it was in his second at bat in the fifth inning, struck out. He just looked like he was fatigued. Yeah, and I think that has a lot to do with it. I know when people talk about he's hitting a lot of ground balls lately. And to me, that is fatigue. That's not getting the ball out front. That's getting the ball just a little bit deep. Now, you know, we're talking about, you know, inches, you know what I mean, as far as contact point. But, you know, maybe it's just a little bit long and, you know, and the ball's getting a little bit too deep. And it's one of the reasons why he's a great hitter is that, he likes the balls, you know, getting deep in the play. That's why he can hit lefties very well. He sees the ball a very long time. But I just think the contact point is a little bit a little bit too deep, not out in front. If he gets out front, now he gets the ball in the air, you know. And I think that's kind of like a sign of, of, of maybe a little bit of fatigue. These guys, they've all played a lot of baseball right now. They played more than they have in a couple of years, right? I mean, 60 games last year. So, right. and that's one thing Alex talks about, you know, resting guys, giving them breaks. We're not worried about what we're doing in May or June. And it's, we're here to play in September and hopefully in October. So something got to keep an eye on. You know, I think they've had a lot of injuries here recently with some of the bench role guys that haven't allowed maybe some of those days off and that's affected it. Well, one thing I think we're going to keep a very close eye on is how managers across baseball, not just Alex Cora, mm-hmm. uh, handle pitching stats uh, here in the second half with what you mentioned, the 60-game season last year. A lot of guys didn't get the chance to get stretched out. I mean, I, a lot of lay people like myself would say, well, that's what with training camp uh, training uh, camp was for this year was to try and, you know, account for that a little bit and get mm-hmm. these guys worked up, but it doesn't work that way necessarily. And it's kind of a long winded way of saying, look, the Red Sox pitching 
I think has been leaking oil a little bit and the starting rotation could use not just one arm. I think it could use two or three arms. They're going to get one of those back. We, we presume in Chris sale who looked pretty good uh, down yeah. in Florida last week. I think it was Thursday when he made his start, went three solid innings, fastball touched 94. He's going to get a start at double a, if everything goes as planned on Tuesday night, and then uh, we'll see how that goes. They get him back by the end of July, maybe early August. What would you like to see the Red Sox do in terms of bolstering that rotation? I think they need a starter. I think they need a Nate Evaldi type, like they got an 18. You know, a guy that they can put in the rotation, especially for the regular season, to keep guys fresh. Maybe he wins a spot in that rotation with how he throws. If not, he's a valuable guy out of that bullpen. Um, and I agree. I think sale, Sales, you know, the problem is you can't really count on Sale, right, Drags? I yeah, mean, you know, like, know he's one setback away. Yeah, but, but he's also one setback away from seeing 22, right? So we don't know what he's going to be. But and by the way, he was up to 97 the other day. So, I mean, they love what they're seeing from him. But I think they need one more starter. Now, Tanner Houck is the guy. Like, Tanner Houck is the guy that's going to, I think, relieve this, this bullpen, this rotation with how they're using him. The other day, you're in a close ball game, right. and Houck gives you – or you're in a game, you know, and how, you're winning, and Houck gives you three innings to save that bullpen. That, that's huge for your high-leverage guys. Like, they gave him a day off. Now he's also going to go into the rotation next time around. So Alex is going to go – bullpen for three innings to save his bullpen for a day to give them an extra day up which is huge yeah, yeah. it is oh, and then he's going to go six-man rotation after that so it's it's he's the guy that's going to really give him a, a breather well and and you're talking about a guy with a young arm and mm -hmm. he hasn't been used that much and i think with a guy like tanner how why not instead of i've never understood this lou and maybe you can enlighten me why managers don't do this more in a situation where you need to save your bullpen a little bit more. Mm -hmm. Don't have the guy throw on the side, have the guy throw two or three innings out of the bullpen like Tanner Houck did on Friday night. I mean, granted it lined up just perfectly for Cora to do what he did, but I don't see why ma more managers don't do that and then have them start, uh, you know, four or five days later. Well, I think as we saw in 18, you can do that in the postseason, you know, but, the difference when these guys throw a bullpen, though, the intensity isn't there. Like they like to call it kind of like a touch and feel, right? They just get up there, they work in their mechanics. And, you know, if a guy's throwing 95 in a regular start, he's up there throwing 88, 90, and he's just working on his mechanics and he's working on pitches and release point and certain things that he wants to improve on. If you take that little touch and feel workout, as they might call it, and now throw him in a big league game, it's max effort all the time. So I think that creates like a sprint, which is what the postseason is, which is what they did in 2018. No more sides. Nobody, yeah, nobody, nobody threw a side. Rick Porcello, Avaldi, Price, these guys, they didn't throw sides. They threw in games. But I think during the season, that's tough. That's why you need that sixth arm, which is what Hauk is. Like that, people always talk about six-man rotation. I, don't, I wouldn't want a six-man rotation. I would rather have exactly what Hauk's doing. Rest my bullpen for a day and then come back five days later and give me a start and then rest my bullpen three or four days later, and then five days later, give me a start. So that's huge. But I still, on top of all that, I still think they need to go out you know, and get a guy for this rotation because they've been healthy all year, tracks. These guys haven't missed a start. That's not going to keep up. No, you wouldn't expect it to. I mean, there were well, the 04 Red Sox were the, probably the most notable exception in baseball history to that. But um, certainly, and, Chris, and Kurt Schilling reminds us of that all the time. But... <laughs> But um, I think 
you're right. They probably do have to go out and get another starter. Uh, trade deadline is June, uh, July 30th this year, not the 31st, July 30th at 4 p.m. Eastern. And I'm just curious, you, you brought up one name, Danny Duffy of the, of the Kansas City Royals, uh, along with uh, potentially uh, Carlos uh, uh, Santana, right? Santana, yeah. Yeah, as a possible package deal with uh, Franchi going back to the Royals. <laughs> I don't think that's going to happen. Uh, no, me neither. But a guy like Danny Duffy, you do think could help the Red Sox. Max Scherzer is not going to happen. We agree with that. See, I, I agree. And I th- like Hein Bloom said that, you know, listen, this the one thing about him is he's versatile. He wants to keep everything open. He wants to look at all of his options. And he talked about how he'd be interested in a rental. But a guy like Max Scherzer or a guy like Anthony Rizzo that A-Rod was just, I mean, all night long was talking about going to the Red Sox. I think those price tags for those rentals are a little bit too high. You know what I mean? For those types of guys. Duffy is a rental. Um, I mentioned Carlos Santana because I think that's really the position of need as far as position players go. They need a first baseman. I mean, especially with the Royal last night going down with that hammy. Um, they need they need a first baseman. But, yeah, that type of player. So I could see them getting a guy like that as a rental. But to me, a guy like Scherzer, a guy like Rizzo, I just think that's counterproductive to what Bloom is kind of still doing here. You know, and, and I know Red Sox fans probably pissed off. It's like, hey, you got a good team, go for it, win it. You grab these guys and win it. But does it, we've been here before, you know what I mean? Win a World Series, go to last place. People doesn't want that anymore. The same people that don't want that anymore, want them to build something, want them to kind of go all in and give up whatever it takes to win now. And it's just not, it doesn't fit. So let me play a little conspiracy theory here, here mm-hmm. uh, Lou. Uh, one reason I think you're seeing a lot of these young faces make their debuts this year in the middle of the season is maybe uh, Haim Bloom and Sam Kennedy and the Red Sox front office and ownership trying to tell the fans, this is what we have in the pipeline. This is why we don't want to trade everybody away. Um, and we want you to see what we have coming up through the system. And Jaron Duran and Tanner Houck are probably exhibits A and 1A in that regard, right? I mean, th- th- you haven't seen this kind of excitement about these, this number of Red Sox prospects in a long, long time. Yeah, and I think you got to go back to that last wave, right, of like Bogey coming up and then Jackie and then Buki and Devers, things like that. Now, those guys are, are superstars. We don't know what, what Duran is right now. I'm not sure, sure they know what Duran is right now. But, yeah, I would agree in that, you know, it's it's been a, it was a tough year for them injury wise for some arms. They came into the season, they had guys like Dad Ward and Brian Mata and Hauk and Siebold, like four starters they felt that could help them. Well, two of them are already done, right? And Mata and Ward, so Tommy John. Seabold's had a setback. He's back pitching again. And now we're seeing Hauk. So, but other than that, they've actually had a really good year. They got a team down in Portland that's on fire with a bunch of prospects that are say 20 to 30, but or 15 to 30 in their system, but they're having good years. This is a farm system that overnight, in my opinion, like that, that Heim Bloom last starting last year with some trades has turned around. I, I don't think this is going to be 25th best, you know, minor league system this off season, you know, after a full year of a minor league season, Tristan Cassis has taken off. He's the first baseman of the future and, and he's still young, but I still think they project him as that. So the, the system has turned around and, but here's the other thing, Trags. I don't know if you've seen it or not rule five eligible players you know, in the Rule 5 draft and how the Red Sox got Garrett Whitlock and his kid Caleb Orb down at AAA, <clears throat> excuse me, they have, they got about 15 guys that are Rule 5 eligible and about six of them are in the top 10. The others are all top 30 guys. They got a numbers crunch when it comes to that. 
they can't add everybody to the 40 man in the off season. So this is where I think you could see Hein Bloom make some trades and maybe be a little more aggressive than people might think because he just can't put everybody in the 40 man. You don't want to lose these guys in, in rule five. So um, a guy like Jeter Downs is, is an example. You expect him to be probably put in the 40 man. Duran was, he's already up. There's a ton of guys that they love that are eligible. So right. you could see some movement there just because the numbers crunch. They don't want to lose guys for nothing like the Yankees did with Garrett Whitlock. Well, uh, speaking of Jeter Downs, um, I, I think, and I agree, Barry Larkin made this uh, uh, observation on the Reds broadcast Sunday here in Cincinnati. You can never have enough talented middle and infielders because of their athleticism and their versatility. And that's one reason I think they hold on to a guy like Jeter Downs. No, <laughs> you would. You, you yeah, and, and it, it, I, I would agree. And the other thing, too, is he's tied into that Mookie deal. You know what I mean? So it's like, you know, you're not going to just give up on a kid. He's going to be on the 40, man. They're not going to lose him if they don't trade him. It, it is, he's an interesting case with a lot of these guys that kind of missed last year. Like, cause he's kind of has his struggles in AAA right now. I'm not sure. I'm not sure what he is. It's weird, right? Because when Pedroia was down in AAA as the second baseman of the future, he played second base. This kid's playing shortstop all the time. And so I, I don't know why, like, I don't know what they think of him. Like I saw him and I, I don't know. I got to see a lot more of him to really kind of be in, in love with that kid. But, um, but yeah, cause he's tied in with that deal. They've only seen him for a year. He's going absolutely nowhere. Unless it's in a trade. We'll see. Unless it's in a trade, but I'm going all over the map here, but Sorry. Raphael Devers, mm-hmm. is, could he eventually be an answer at first base? He could eventually, but I, keep I don't hearing think that, but I, I don't know. They seem to want to let him ride it out at third. And, you know, he, again, has had kind of a rough year, right? How many errors has he had? I can look it up here, but. Yeah, he's up there. Um, but most of it comes in April, every single year with this kid. And he had stretches where I think he can play third base. I think he can play there for a while. Now, when you say eventually, are we talking three, four, five, six years down the road? I, I, I think they want him at third base. Yeah. Yeah, I, I just if you can have a more athletic guy at third base, mm-hmm. um, better instincts, more consistent, I think that's the way to go. I, I'm obviously not saying take his bat out of the lineup. That's right. not the point I'm making here at all. But until a guy, um, I mean, they've got a number of options you've already mentioned. Um, what do you think of Bobby Dahlbeck, by the way? Yeah, I, I think it's time to find a first baseman, to be honest with you. You know, like I've watched him a lot and I was hoping that he'd be more than Michael Chavis. I'm just not sure he is. I think it's kind of a very similar guy. Um, you know, so I look Michael Chavis. Yeah, I mean, I just think like like Dahlbeck to me is just, you know, he's a lot of power. There's just too much swing and miss, period. Like it's just too much. It's been three and a half, four months. You know, we saw it last year. We're seeing it now. You know, I don't know where the adjustments come unless everybody can get better. You know what I mean? At some point in his career, but same thing with Chavis. But if you don't get the at-bats at a big level, do you get better? So I, I could see them moving on. I think they think Cassis is the first baseman of the future. And going back to third first, it's I think they continue to work with, with Devers. I don't think they're at the point where they feel like he can't play the position. I think he shows some consistency and then he has lapses. But when you look at the big league landscape, it's like I have a, I can find a first baseman. I think easier than I could find a third baseman, you know, so unless they had, you know, if Cassis, this kid that they have in double a, if he was a third baseman, then yeah, I would say they might make the switch 
you know, the Devers over there you know, sooner than later, but they just don't have that type of player in the minor league system to get a guy and be to, that would move Devers to first base. Speaking with Lou Merloni of the Red Sox Radio Network, you can hear him 2 to 6 p.m. Eastern every day on the on 93.7 WEEI, the OMF show. Be sure to listen to him and follow him on Twitter at Lou Merloni, all one word. Hey, sports fans, bet online the fastest and easiest way to bet on all of your sports action. Baseball season in full swing. You can track all of the action at Bet Online. Get all of the latest news, odds, and info for all of your sporting needs, including MLB, NBA, NHL, and yes, let's not forget UFC and MMA action. Real-time updated odds and props on almost anything you can imagine. Bet Online has you covered for all of the news, scores, and odds. It is the very best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up for the next pitch. Head on over to Bet Online on your laptop or mobile device and take advantage of the 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore. Get in on all the action. Don't forget to use that promo code CLNS50 to receive a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. Back with Lou Maloney of the Red Sox. Radio Network and OMF, 2 to 6 p.m. Eastern on WEEI 93.7. Lou, how's Mo? <laughs> He's good. Uh, yeah, I got a little I don't dog love dogs. I love dogs. How old? Yeah, I got – he's uh, a little over eight weeks, a little Frenchy. We got him yesterday. So, like I said, even though that game sucked last night, I still got a new dog. So, I had that going for me. But he's cute. He's cute. Cried all night, but we'll get through it. Yeah, just like a little newborn, right? Uh, you got to yeah, take exactly. care of your dogs. I, I don't know. I have too much going on here. I'm in and out of the house too much to have a have a dog, although I've given it great consideration. My two daughters are going to be yeah. here uh, in the area. My my uh, Janie's going to be a senior at Miami of Ohio, and Emma is going to start a freshman here at University of Dayton. Oh, so nice. Yeah, thank you. I, uh, Congrats. I them to, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to having the two daughters in town at least for one year, one year yeah. carryover. Um, Let's get back to these Red Sox. Uh, They're right. still in great shape. They've, uh, you pointed out on Twitter, they've lost their last three series. They've lost six of their last nine games. Uh, but the standings, they're in great shape still. 56 and 38. They're a half game ahead of Tampa Bay. Ta how do you read Tampa Bay? Are they a team you see pulling away in the second half? Or are they going to just be what they are, you know, a 95 win team, 90 to 95 win team. And the Red Sox will be right there with them. Yeah. I, I, I kind of still see them there. Now if they had Glasnow, you know, we'll see what his deal is, but if they had him, it'd be maybe a different story. I think that team offensively has got a little more punch than maybe we've used to in the past. Um, I always love their pitch. And I love their young pitching. That's the thing. They're not going away. I mean, they've got right. young arms that in the next three or four years are going to be there with or without Glasnow. So um, I, I like that team to be there. I think the team that I'm actually more nervous about in the AL East is Toronto. Yeah. Like I think they scare me. They scare me more than anybody, you know, and if they can get their pitch and their offense, Springer is kind of back. Vlad Jr. is out of control. So that's a team that worries me probably more than anybody in that division. You know, and I think it's funny because expectations change, right? Beginning of the year, everybody in Boston tracks were saying 79 and a half wins was, the, was you know, bet online you know, over under, you know, and you were just sitting there saying, uh, personally, I was like, they're going over. Like I had them like, I had them at 87 wins, but people had under, people thought they were awful. People, you know, after what we saw the year before, but it's a whole new pitching staff. 
And now all of a sudden it's turned into they better not choke and they better not blow this. Well, they're a good baseball team. I don't think they're running away with the division. Like people are saying they had a four and a half game lead a few weeks ago. That's because they won eight or nine in a row. You know, they're, I think, 12 and eight in their last 20. Yeah, they've struggled recently. They're not going to run away with this thing, but they're not going anywhere either. You know, so I, I still, you know, if they don't win the division, I don't think it's a choke job, but I think they should make the playoffs. I'll say that much. So with Chad Jennings of The Athletic last week on this very podcast, I brought up this comparison and um, you will have a, a d- even deeper appreciation perhaps than will Chad of this. The 78 Red Sox. That's what this Red Sox team reminds me of. Um, mm-hmm. I think the 78 Red Sox had better pitching, um, st- certainly a better starting pitching, but um, that, that's what comes to mind when I think of this team. And I just don't know if Tampa Bay is like the 78 Yankees or not, uh, if they can catch fire uh, or if Toronto can come from behind and be like those Baltimore teams of, of the early and, and mid seventies. That's what they used to do. We remember the 74 mm-hmm. Orioles that uh, I'm showing my age here. I know um, that was, <laughs> I was going to say 78. I was seven years old tracks, you know, they, I, mean, I don't have that went, big of a grasp on it. They went 33 and eight in their final 41 games. I believe it was and caught the Red Sox, but this is, that's the kind of team I think we're looking at with the Red Sox here. They can mash the will their pitching hold. Yeah. And I think that's, yeah, that's fair. I think that, you know, again, it is. I, I try to keep perspective. I thought that they were a good team, but I also understand that this is year one of a rebuild, and not just at the big league level, but the minor league level. You know, and and where they are, and what their future looks like as far as next year goes. Erod, I don't know. He's a free agent. We'll see what they do with him. He's got to start throwing better. He looked good the other night, but you do have Whitlock and How could be in the rotation with Sale. Baldy's got another year. There's some other guys in the minor league, so it's still that rebuild. Um, I don't think they're running away with it. Again, I think Toronto could be that team. Uh, they had a big weekend, and now you got a series with them again. And you got to start winning series, you know, if you're the Red Sox. You know, it was funny because Christian Vasquez said something the other day, like, you know, I think last night, saying that we need to start acting like a first-place team um, and, and be a little cocky about it. No, I, I don't want that at all. I want the opposite. Like, this team never thought they were a first-place team. This team, from day one, was like, you think we're awful? We're going to show you how good we are. Like, I want that edge. I don't want this team starting to act like they've accomplished something. They've accomplished nothing. They've played really well so far. But I don't want them to get cocky now. That hasn't been their MO all year long. I don't want that. I don't mind it. I think what you just said perfectly sums up what their attitude should be. They should play like they have a chip on the shoulder. Mm -hmm. No question about that because – I've seen it firsthand here in Cincinnati. We brought up uh, off the air Nick Castellanos, who's battling through a wrist injury, should be back this week uh, against the Mets. Uh, But what he did in the first week of the season set the tone for the rest of the year, you know, standing over the St. Louis Cardinal picture, uh, covering uh, home plate on a wild pitch and making the muscle. It it set the tone for the team. With the Reds here in Cincinnati, nobody expects them or expected them to compete with the Cardinals or the Brewers atop uh, the National or the Cubs, uh, atop the National League Central, and it's set a tone. I'm waiting for the Red Sox um, to kind of have that moment where they set the tone and they say, we're not going to take shit from anybody. Um, Mm -hmm. We haven't accomplished anything. We're not going to act like, you know, we're the best team, but we're going to play with a chip on our shoulder. It's a fine line. You played the game, Lou, and you've been on teams where – 
they have that attitude and haven't worked for it, haven't deserved it. And you've been on other teams uh, like the 03 Red Sox, who always were the little brother to the Yankees until they beat them, right? Yeah, yeah. And that's that's sort of like the attitude that you, that you do need. I mean, I don't want these guys to forget that they were a laughing stock last year. You know, that it was awful to play baseball, that that nobody gave them a chance. I don't want them to start acting like they've done something now. And and those moments you talked about, I think we saw some of them early in the year, and it was more just how they play baseball. Like, everybody around here seems to be sort of waiting for this team to kind of collapse. And they had moments where they lost two in a row, and you're like, oh, that's it, it's over. And then they go and sweep the Rays, so they sweep the Yankees. And it's sort of like, without saying, you could see Alex, that, that confidence afterwards, like, yeah, we're really good. I mean, you've got Martin Perez saying we're really effing good. You know what I mean? To the media. So, I mean, it's it's that chip that they've had by just going out and winning games and showing some emotion and playing with heart. So I, you need to kind of keep that chip thinking that, you know, maybe they need to start hearing people say like this thing is over. The Blue Jays are going to catch them. The Rays are going to catch them. They've collapsed. I don't know. But I want that thing back. You know, I want it back quickly here because it, you mentioned those three series in a row that they've lost. The last four series they've lost, and you go back to Tampa, they've won the first game of each of these series that they've lost, and they've turned around and lost the last two. So in a sense, is that, hey, we won the first game, we got this series wrapped up, only to get smoked the next two games? So the attitude, I, I want to get it back to the edge and the nastiness that, and, and you know, proving people wrong. Well, I'll tell you one thing, and I'm sure you've looked at the schedule like everybody else. It's what, uh, 18 or 17 games against the Yankees and Rays coming out of the all-star break. It's mm -hmm. going to tell us a lot. I, I, I don't believe the Yankees are a playoff team. I just no. don't. I mean, despite what A-Rod wanted to say that, I, and, and your, your tweet about A-Rod <laughs> winding himself into a pretzel, oh. trying to explain how the Yankees are going to win. The, there's no way they win the division. I just not, not with what's uh, atop of them and what they would have to do. Uh, look, I, I think uh, Aaron Boone's, a terrific baseball guy. I really do. And I think he is a great leader in that clubhouse and in that dugout. Uh, but I just don't think they have the arms and, and they are in a weird position in New York. Yeah, I'm with you. I don't see it. You know, here in Boston tracks, when they made that Mookie trade, you know, people don't want to hear, you know, resetting luxury tax. And then they come into this year and this offseason, they weren't spending any money. And the Red Sox were getting destroyed for not spending money and going over a luxury tax. But I think you know, in baseball, you sat there and said, okay, I get it. They don't think they're going to really win and compete for a World Series. So why do it now when you got to extend a guy like Devers and extend a guy like Bogarts? And you know you're going to go over. But one thing you can say about the Red Sox is that when they have a chance to win a World Series, they've already shown they will spend 235. They will spend 240. They will blow through that luxury tax. What the Yankees did this offseason to me was embarrassing. And I look at Booney, like you said, like I, I get it. He's having a tough year. I look more to Cashman or maybe even Hal, the owner, not allowing this team to go over a luxury tax threshold with the team that you have and a chance to win the World Series, trading Adam Ottavino. And I know he had a tough time in New York, but trading him to the Red Sox just to stay under the luxury tax to me is an embarrassment for that organization. The Yankees who spend money left and right have a quality team that everybody thinks can win the American League and they don't go out and get a number two behind Cole. They trade for a broke Tyon who's throwing the ball well to Tommy Johns, a broke Corey Kluber, you know, who's now hurt again, like Jordan Montgomery. Like you're sitting there going, really? These are the people you're putting behind Cole? No athleticism, no left-handed bats. It's unheard of. And, and if I was a Yankee fan, I'd be screaming from the rooftops. You got a chance to win and you don't want to go over a luxury tax? You do me, that's not awful. think they're trading Aaron Judge, do you? 
I don't. I don't think they're there. I mean, that that to me is a complete rebuild. To me, he's, he's, I look at that team. I don't I still don't know what Gleyber Torres is. And Sanchez, I don't know what these guys are. You move Judge. Who's, who's your who's your guy you leaning on? I mean, there, yeah. I mean, there are those who'd say you know they're going to do that and try to do what they did with uh, Chapman. I don't think that's going to happen. No, no, I, I don't. And that's the thing too. Like the Red Sox, Mookie trade, whatever. Say what you want about it. It was awful. You know, great player. You never want to lose a player like that. But you could look back and say, oh, we still have Devers, Bogarts, and JD here for a couple more years. If you move Judge, what do the Yankees say? What, what do they got? You know, it's just a different team without him. <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, by the way, uh, I was entertained by what Pete Alonso did at the All-Star Game. When, yeah. every, when everybody and their brother expected Otani, and understandably so, to win the home run derby, to watch what Alonso was doing and how compact and how powerful. I, I can't remember seeing a, a right-handed bat maybe back to McGuire, who had that much power and that compact of a swing. It, it's yeah. really amazing to me. Yeah, yeah, it is. And a quick hat tip to, uh, to uh, tip of the hat, rather, to Dave Joust, because he was my old first yeah. base coach with the yeah. Red Sox. Just electric, I mean, outstanding batting practice, threw the ball there every single time. But, you know, when you see, when you watch home run derby, especially the way they do it now, right, with two, three minutes at a time, like, I think it's ridiculous. Why don't they just go back to 10 outs? Like, they, they could take a pitch once in a while. These guys are getting worn out. So when you see that, and you see a guy like Otani that's got the big leg kick, or you see these other guys that, like, max effort, and then you watch Alonzo, who just stands there, lifts a foot quickly, puts it down, and hits a bomb. Like, he can withstand two and a half minutes of doing that, three minutes of doing that. Right. Or other guys right. like Mancini, God bless him. But I mean, there's a leg kick, there's max effort to get the ball out. So I've always looked at, yeah, like home run derbies. I always look at the guy, the simple little approach, whether it's a no stride or short stride, get the foot down quick and then swing it fast. Big leg kicks, those guys get tired. But he was awesome. I loved it. It was entertaining. Dancing. Maybe you shouldn't dance. I don't know about you if you like his dance moves or not, but there's a little bit, I don't know, my kid was I'm not a dancer. thinking he should have stopped. Yeah, I don't know. But it was, it was entertaining. It was fun. It, was, it really was a great night. Yeah, um, I don't mind the occasional bat flip, but but the dancing, no, thank you. <laughs> um, and one more thing before we wrap up, MLB and what they've done to try to cut down on the spin rates. Your thoughts on that? The the spider tack, yes. the what Bubba Harkins was doing in Anaheim, you know, like for these guys with the pine tar, melting pine tar with coke. The, these are the things that you know I think got everybody's attention. I don't believe that it's sunscreen and rosin is an issue. I think if you look back, I think back in April, Kenny Rosenthal did, uh, they did some studies and they had a guy throwing five pitches with everything, clean sunscreen and rosin, spider tack and pine tar, like mixed with Coke. And the spin rate with sunscreen and rosin did not jump. It didn't jump at all. You know, it was very minimal spider tack and the other stuff, huge 400, 500 RPM difference in guys just throwing just the same guy throwing a pitch. So, I think it's a shame that they get rid of the sunscreen and rosin. They keep saying we need to look for a substance that can help with just the grip. I think they already have it. I think they already know it. I just think they wanted to get rid of everything and start from scratch and then figure out what to do next. So the guys that are abusing that other stuff, I think you saw in that one week, dropping 300, 400 RPMs. A guy like Garrett Richards here in Boston doesn't even know how to throw a baseball anymore, and he talked about it. I feel bad for the other kids that are out there in 98 humidity that can't use the sunscreen to just help for a grip because I don't believe that affects spin rates at high rates. So um, you, 
can still yeah. use the rosin though, right, Lou? I mean, that... yeah, you can, but that doesn't, I don't know, you know, it helps a little bit, but it's the sunscreen that gets enough tack to just get the grip on the ball. The other stuff is out of control. Um, and it just goes to show you that sometimes you just can't have nice things, you know? I mean, you see people abuse, yep. they abuse it. You know, they're always looking man. for the edge. But, you know, another thing, two tracks, it's about analytics. It, it, it's so overwhelming in this game that now we're, we're, we're signing pitchers based on spin rate and thinking that we can do. So if I'm a pitcher and people are getting signed based on spin rate, what can I do to improve it? All right, buddy, come on over here. Listen, this is what I do. And you start learning and listening to people and start trying it just to survive in the game. So to me, it was very similar to the steroid era to where guys were using it and they were just like, you know, then they started abusing it. You know, we right in front of our eyes with McGuire and Sosa and Bonds. And it was just like, OK, it's getting this is getting so bad that now we have to address it. Well, it's been great catching up, Lou. You too, Drags. Good seeing you, pal. I haven't seen you in a while. Yeah, Ed, that's why I wanted to have you. You look good, man. Hey, thanks. You look good Brett. as usual. Yeah, right. I'm just trying <laughs> to put a little uh, product in my hair, keep my hair looking young, because that's all that matters, Lou. I know I'm going off the beaten track here, but all that matters. Oh, good. What people think of you i hear you <laughs> well we think very highly of you out here still track so i'm there you go you. i appreciate that very much thanks okay, for being on I want to thank everybody for downloading today's podcast thank our terrific guest the one and only lou maloney you can catch him obviously on the red sox radio network catch him two to six every monday through friday eastern time on the omf show on 93.7 weei fm I want to also thank our terrific sponsor, betonline.ag. For Lou Merloni, the one and only Sweet Lou, I'm Mike Petralia, and this has been the Red Sox Beat Podcast, powered by CLNS Media. <laughs>